Welcome to the Audacity Church Podcast. We pray that you are blessed by what you hear today. We love to hear stories of what God is doing in people's lives. Take some time to share your story of how God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. So howdy, y'all. Welcome to Audacity Church. Is that some good worship or what? Well, it was good stuff, wasn't it? Well, we're going to um, kick off today a, a new series called No Other Name. And at Audacity, we firmly believe that there is no other name under heaven by which a man or a woman can be saved. We make no apologies about that. That's what the Bible teaches, and so that's what we stand firm upon. Uh, but you're going to be in for a real treat. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be breaking down Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And my job today is just to introduce this series. And then you'll want to be back next week uh, because Ashley is actually going to be teaching next week. I know y'all should be pumped about that. For some reason, people say that she should just preach every week, but I don't know that I wouldn't have a job. See, yes, amen, right? Um, but she's going to be uh, preaching from a pretty unique perspective on uh, the idea of um, a child is born and a son is given. Um, so so don't, don't miss it. So what's in a name I mean, really, that's where we're going to start today with no other name. What is in a name? Now, some of you are not as nerdy as I, and you're probably, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, but I'm really big into names. Like, it's always been something that I've been uh, in, infatuated with or maybe inspired by. And in Eastern thought, especially in Hebrew thought, a name doesn't only identify or distinguish a person, but it also expresses their very nature. So the name uh, which were given were more, uh, maybe for you and I, more literal. But the names that we'll, we will look at as far as Jesus over the next four weeks, it's also his character. And we'll look at a Bible story and, and we'll see how those names really apply to our lives and, and why the name Jesus is so important. Let me give you a couple of examples uh, there's a guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament, and his name was Saul. And Saul means asked of God. That's what Saul means. And this guy has a conversion with Jesus. It's quite radical. If you've never read it, it's in Acts 17. It's in the second half of the book of Acts. You can read this story. But this guy has an amazing encounter with God. And so his name is Saul, and he changes his name to Paul, which means the least. Or maybe you remember the Old Testament story of the guy named Jacob. Do you know Jacob's name actually means conniver? We have a Jacob in the house, and I don't know him to be a conniver, but that's what his name means. And when God encounters Jacob, he changes his name to Israel. And Israel can be translated one who wrestles with God. So what's the big deal about a name? You know, uh, when we had our, our second daughter, I thought it would be cute to give our girls the same initials. I'm like, oh, how cool would that be? It'll be M-E-B, and they'll have the same initials growing up. Five daughters later, that was the dumbest thing that I ever did. I mean, poor Ashley's looking at me like, another M name? Are you kidding me? And uh, as you guys know, we haven't been here for a few weeks, but uh, Silas was born a, a couple of weeks ago, and his name means one that comes from the woods. And it was my way of paying homage to my amazing wife. We have nine uh, fabulous children, and Ashley's name means from the woods. 
His middle name is Joshua, which we'll get to in just a minute. His other middle name is Talmadge, which is a family noun. And then my goofy name. It's not Ronald. Y'all, I'm from Kentucky. It's Ronnie Lee. That's how I have to say it. Ronnie Lee. Get over here, Ronnie Lee. There was no proper. Although there's a Roman numeral two after my name, but that's because I'm named after my dad and my grandfather. But the cool thing about my name, the reason I like to embrace Ronnie is because Ronnie is a derivative of the word Reginald. So now y'all can just start calling me Reggie. What up, Reg? I, I don't know. But it's a, it's, a, it's a derivative of Reginald. And Reginald means one who speaks for the king. And so I take it humbly that every week I get to represent King Jesus. And as fantastically as I might fall on my face, I get to speak for him or on his behalf. See, there's so much power in a name. We see our kids forming their characters really based around their names. And it is absolutely hysterical. Why is the name Jesus so offensive? Why do so many people, won't, doesn't, don't mind you praying, as long as you don't close your prayer, with, it's, is it just the name? People don't get offended that I know of, of any other God. I'm working on a series for later this year, and I needed to a- answer some questions. And so I start researching, looking for atheist websites completely devoted to any other religion. There are zero out there. There is website after website after website that just destroys the name of Jesus as often as it can. And I can't find a single website that's just devoted to destroying any other religion. What's the name Jesus the Christ? Why? What is the power? Let me tell you a little bit about Isaiah because the, we're really going to be looking at four verses, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and we're, it's really just one verse, and we're going to be looking at that verse for the next four weeks. Isaiah is known as the messianic prophet. He spoke more about the coming Christ, and he's also quoted more in the New Testament than any other prophet. His literary style, and listen, I've never been a linguist. Like some people really get into J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, and I'm like, guys, I don't have time to read you with a dictionary. I mean, uh, I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis, but like I read the book Miracles, and go ahead and pick it up at Mardell this week. I mean, I'm reading it with a dictionary. I'm like, C.S., seriously, bro, Clive is his real name. Let's settle down now on all the words with your multisyllable adjectives. And, and, and there, there's, there's so much power, and so I don't have a great appreciation for literature as much as some people do. But I read a quote that said this. It says that Isaiah's literary style is loftier than Shakespeare, Milton, or Homer. He is one of the greatest writers I've ever written. And what is really cool to me about the the book of Isaiah is there was a, and you and I are all too young in this room, but there was a lot of debate about whether or not the Bible was accurate and whether it could have been translated over and over and over again. And then in 1947, there was this discovery made called the Dead Sea Scrolls. For those that have never heard of it, just Google it when you get home. But the fascinating thing to me is the Dead Sea Scrolls are written, that we can date them 1,100 years, 1,100 years after, after the book of Isaiah was written, and they were flawlessly translated. They were, they were the same. So Isaiah, another thing about him is he really lived in what I would tell you is the shadow of Assyria. Assyria has come in, and uh, we, we've talked about it here before, but remember that Israel splits into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so um, 
Um, I, he's, Isaiah is watching this happen. He witnessed the deportation of people to, of the northern kingdom. He saw the entire nation be ruined, all except for, Jesus, for Jerusalem. And, and these people are constantly waiting for this person known as the Messiah. In Hebrew, it's Mashiach Nagid. And you got to say it like you have phlegm in the back of your throat. Let's practice. Say Mashiach. Mashiach. Yeah, now you all cleared your throat. To clear it again, Mashiach. Isn't that, don't you, man, and then say Nagid. Now you've learned Hebrew today. You're welcome. What that means is the Messiah King. There was this prophecy of this one who would come, who would sit on the throne of David. He would be in the lineage of David, and he would not only be king, but he would also be high priest. What's the big deal? Well, according to the law of Moses, no man could be both king and high priest. Nobody was ever qualified to carry both of those roles. Isaiah also shows us the Advent. Some of you are uh, celebrating Advent. We're going through like this Advent journey together, and we, we read these stories to our kid every night, and then they ask me questions I don't have the answers to because we've never been like professional Advent celebrators, right? Uh, I apologize for that. It disappoints you about your pastor. Uh, but as far as Advent, there's this time of waiting where you're expecting the arrival or the birth of Christ. And see, now we're in the second Advent. And now we're waiting for his second coming. And there's this beautiful scripture in, in, in the book of Luke. And Jesus gets up and he reads from this scroll. And he actually reads Isaiah. And that's what I want to read to you today. It's Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. It says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to pray, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, here's what's interesting. Do you see that dash, dash, dash there? There's a comma there. And anybody that would have would read through this would have realized that Jesus stops. Jesus is speaking. This is when he, his ministry goes public. And that's what he said he came to do. And now we celebrate the second advent. And we're waiting for Jesus' return. And I, Jesus is speaking prophetically. Out of the book of Isaiah, he says, hey, I'm doing all this the first time around. And then if you look at the second part, it says this, And then the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion. Let me, uh, for those of you guys that didn't get to come to our retreat where we went through Christology, basically 101, and just looked at Jesus through the eyes of John. Um, um, there, in, in Revelation, and in Ezekiel, and in Isaiah, and there's uh, multiple accounts, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is coming back. And there's this point in, in Revelations where it says that Jesus is riding a white horse in blood up to the bridle. And, and I want to believe it's a tattoo. Please don't, theology, theology people, don't email me later because I won't read them. But um, it says on his, his thigh is written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who I affectionately call Thug Jesus. I know he's coming back. And I know he's going to right some wrongs. And for whatever reason, he's still riding a horse, but I'm totally cool with that. I mean, and he's, he's returning again to set everything right. Because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. Guys, I know that's heavy, right? I don't want you to think that, that Jesus um, 
Um, what was there? Well, my wife's in here, so the governor is in the room. So I, so I figure how to. Let me. Culture paints Jesus as this. Um, he looks like he's tan and rides a surfboard in California, and he's like, "Peace, dudes." And he just kind of flicks his hair or something. Jesus is the creator of the universe. And so that he could show that we could live sinless lives and so that we could be seen as righteous or right standing in God's eyes. He stepped out of heaven and he became a a person, a human being. He was God in the flesh. He did come. Isaiah teaches us that when he does come, he is going to carry the weight of the world on on his shoulders. And he does it so that you and I could be seen as righteous in God's eyes. Nothing that you and I do. Listen, please come back next week. But your church attendance has nothing to do with your salvation. Not a lick. Your prayer life could be a reflection of, but has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. Your works in itself have absolutely, positively nothing to do with your salvation because you and I cannot earn something that was freely given. We are not qualified to earn salvation. Jesus came, and we're going to celebrate that by the exchanging of gifts and gathering around the tree, and we're going to celebrate the fact that he did come. But he came so that on the cross would be the finished work of Christ. That when he said the words, it is finished, he said every debt is paid, every failure, every sin, every mishap. And guys, we have the ability now by the blood of Jesus Christ to walk in scandalous grace. And that's why... He came. The Messiah King was prophesied about. He was going to come. He was going to be both king. He was going to be both high priest. We have this interesting exchange with a guy named Abraham and a prophet who was also priest and king of the city of Salem named Melchizedek. And you guys are looking for names for your kids. That's a cool one. Um, But I think that this is the first shadowing of the role that Jesus would play. So what is what does Jesus even mean? I mean, there's a bunch of Jesuses. If you translate it in Greek, it sounds almost like it does in Spanish. Jesus. Matter of fact, we have a Jesus. Is he here? Where is he at? Is he upstairs? Oh, he's in the nursery. So is, if, there's there's multiple Jesuses. There's multiple Yeshuas. There, there. I mean, what 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 makes him so special? What makes him so different? And it's the fact that you add the words the Christ, Christos, in Greek which means Messiah. Colossians chapter 2 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of rule and authority. Is Jesus is God. Make no mistake about it. The guys that ride their bikes and stop at your door and try to paint him as somebody else, don't let them. Jesus is God. And John does something that we lose contextually whenever we translate it from one language to another language. And this is in John chapter 1. And it says this, in the beginning was the Word. Everybody say Word. Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was the beginning with God. I'm not going to read all that because that's not the point I want to make. When John is speaking to the Greeks, that's who John is he's authoring to or to the church, actually, but he knew that it was majority Gentile. And when John is writing, he uses a, the, when he, the word for word, we translated his word, and we say, yes, in the beginning was the word, the, you know, the written word, and 
Jesus was, you know, the book and he, blah, blah. Let me tell you what John was saying. When John used the word word, he actually uses the word logos. Everybody say logos. Let me tell you why it's important. Is because in that culture that John is writing to, they have this idea, this thought process. And the philosophers of the time would say this, if you can find the logos, you will find the meaning of life. It was a way that they translated. So what John is really saying here in this verse, in the beginning was the meaning of life, and the meaning of life was God, and the meaning of life was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him and throughout him and not anything. Listen, everybody is searching for something, and until you surrender to the Logos, until you surrender to Jesus Christ and allow him to radically change your life, you will live a life always empty or only temporarily filled. If you didn't check out the podcast, uh, Josh and Tyson do a great job. Uh, check out the podcast of last month's series. We talked about idolatry. This is what happens. When we don't make the logos, when we don't make Christ, we don't make the word the center of our lives, what we do is we continue to f- continually fill it with something else. We're trying to always put something else, make something else, and it leaves us starving. It leaves us hungry. In the beginning was the logos. God didn't create you. Oh man, some of you gonna get your feelings hurt. God did not create you because He needed someone to love. I hear that. Well, God just needed someone to love. The, God exists perfectly in 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 a triune personhood as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I don't do anything without seeing the Father do it. He says, I and the Father are one. He existed perfectly. He didn't need to love anybody. Now, is God love? Did he create you out of love? Sure. But don't think that the world revolves around you. I don't think the world revolves around me. We exist for one reason, and that is to glorify God. Some people would say, well, God created me because he needed community. No, he existed perfectly. We don't add anything to God. God's love just compels him to love us unconditionally. Philippians 2 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Over the next few weeks, as we unpack who Jesus is, as we unpack um, the prophecy that was fulfilled about Jesus through Isaiah, as we, we, we dissect each word in this one sentence, I want you to know who Jesus is. There's no other name. See, you will either take a knee and bow to Jesus now as Lord and become his servant, or in eternity, you're going to be taking a knee, you'll confess his name, and you'll bow to him as judge. And he'll look at you and say, I didn't know you. Guys, the reason that we're starting off this series this way is because I want you to realize the importance 
of those in your sphere of influence that are separated from Jesus. The reason there is no other name. The, the biggest, um, um, the biggest, the greatest confusion in, in our current culture is pluralism, pluralism, whatever you want to call it. It's basically, you know what? Um, um, it's Oprahology. I don't know if that's actually a religion. But it's, it's the thought that, you know, well, they're all kind of intersecting in all kind of all different paths to the same person. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to heaven but through me. No one meets the Father but through me. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority and power. He didn't pull punches. And guys, listen, um... If somebody died in here today and then uh, Tyson lays hands on them and they're healed, would any of y'all not put that on Facebook and be running your mouths about it all afternoon? I see what y'all put on Facebook. I, I, I know what you put on there. I stalk some of you because I'm a creep. I mean, I'm just like, I wonder how they're doing. Oh, man, should be praying for them more. I mean... Uh, or like we have an intercessory prayer meeting because Sarah's lost a rap again. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, that's what's what social media is for. Did we find it? Yes. Hallelujah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I love you, girl. And, um, but like, and so I, I, I see what we put, but what we, we're almost always quiet. Yesterday is my favorite day of social media, just because I could care less who wins the game. And I always like to see how both sides react. It's awesome. It's a bedlam. Just read the Facebook strand. I mean, it's entertaining. Guys, Jesus came so that you could have life and life more abundantly. Oh, no, you need to come down. I'm done, bro. And um, um, I... I want to, uh, Brandon was trying to take a seat. Um, I want you guys to know that the reason I wanted to kick off this, this series this way is because there is no greater name under heaven than Jesus the Christ. His name isn't Jesus Christ. And I'm okay if you pray that way and I'm okay, but we, we, we missed that in the translation. It was saying Yeshua the Mashiach. It was saying Yeshua the Christos. It was saying Jesus the Creator the logos, the meaning of life, and he wants an intimate, real relationship with you. And it's not based on merit. And I know it stinks because we're, 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 we're fallen humans, and this is what we do. We think that every relationship we're in, we're always trying to earn something. I'm always trying to earn your love. I'm trying to earn your respect. I'm trying to earn your favor. I'm trying to earn a promotion. I'm trying to earn, earn, earn. And Jesus finished it. Jesus says, it's over. It's finished. Believe in me and you'll spend eternity with me. Guys, he's coming again. And, and, and some people would say, it's been 2,000 years, Ronnie. Really, is he? Why is he? It's because Jesus said, that, I hope that I, I, my desire is for no one to perish, is what Jesus said. Paul clarifies it a little bit. He says that Jesus isn't going to returning, come back until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. What does that mean? It's us. It's the church. Jesus isn't going to return until the church is full, until the church, his bride, becomes what it's supposed to become. That's what we're waiting on. That's our responsibility is to help build up the bride of Christ. 
Guys, let me tell you something. The adversary knows that prophecy. He knows that Paul said that until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And this is my, this is my thought, which is a little demented. You guys know me. I put a little bit too much thought. But this is every time someone commits their life to Christ, every time you bring a friend and they give their heart and they surrender to Christ, and every time someone, you, you lead someone to Christ and they place their faith in Christ, I just see the devil in heaven go, okay, next one, okay. And then he does everything he can to prevent them from another person from coming to know Christ. He knows that the return is imminent. And I don't know that if you or I myself take that imminent return as seriously as we should. Two things. One, if you don't know Jesus, I want you just to surrender your life to him today. If you've never fully given your heart to Christ, you've never said, hey, you know what? I've been controlling a lot of things or I've been controlling some things, but I give it all over to you now. If you've never done that, I need you to do that today. And you need to grab me if you did. All I want you to do in your seat is you say, Jesus, you have all of me. And you can check a card here in a minute or something, but if that's the case, I, I, I need to know about it. We believe that in obedience you should be baptized after you make that decision. Number two, who are you praying for? Who are you? I really want to know. Matter of fact, get out your phones. All y'all have some phones. We're, we're going to do a couple things with your phone. Send a text message to your spouse. I want you to at least put one name in your phone. I would prefer three names of people that you're praying for that you know are far from God and that they need Jesus to wreck them. And you're going to commit to praying for them every day. I don't know who it is, but I want you to do that. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.